Thanks for listening to the Velocity Church podcast. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Now here's the message. Jonah chapter 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. Listen to verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Isn't that incredible? They believed God. They called for a, a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then verse 6 says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. The king is getting up off of his throne. What is he going to do? Right? Jonah's message has gone viral. He arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn away from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray one more time as we dig in. Father God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for your people here. God, I thank you that your word is alive and it's powerful. God, I thank you that it's, it's, it's made alive in us, God sharper than any two-edged sword. And we just ask right now, Father, that, that uh, we would receive your revelation here this morning, that your word would go out, God, it'd go out on good ground, Lord, and that we'd receive it and we'd take it, Lord, this morning. And we'd take it with us, God, we'd apply it to our lives. And God, I thank you for meeting people right here and right now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. How, how many of you, you have a story that you can go back to as a kid that you remember where you were disobedient, to your parents, where you made a mistake, you disobeyed mom and dad. Anybody, you have that one story where you're like, that one stands out to me. Anybody? Or, or you're just like, no, I've, I've always been saved, I was born saved, and I've always walked in just perfection every step of the way. I've got stories. I've got some stories in my past that I can remember I disobeyed mom and dad. One in particular I'll share, it, it, just, it just rang in my spirit the other day. I was reminded of it when I was sitting there thinking about this. Um, you know, I'm a hunter. Me and my dad, we've, we've, we've been hunters. We've gone hunting since I was real little. We had a deer lease out in Bastrop. You know where Bastrop is? Not too far down the road. As a matter of fact, it was in a small town called McDade, which is right off of 290. So it's, it's a little, little small town. I mean, you drive right through it, you know, not even know you went through it. But we had a deer lease out there for years, and the family, lots of family memories out there. We'd go out and we'd hunt, and we just, we enjoyed doing that. I was young. I was probably, oh, I was probably 10, somewhere around there. 
And, and when you drive into our deer lease, there was this long entry route. I know, I know Chip knows where we're going because we'd go coyote hunting out there. And we'd, we'd pull off and we'd, we'd do some coyote hunting. Anyways, we'd drive down this entry road and there, there was this giant school bus on the corner when you turn in. See, some people are already laughing because they already know the story. This giant school bus, it was always there, right? And um, being a kid, I'm kind of curious, like, what's up with this abandoned school bus sitting on the corner here? Nobody, what's in there? What's going on? What's and my dad, knowing that I'm a curious kid, is like, hey, listen, don't ever mess with that school bus. Don't mess with it. Don't touch it, right? Not only was I, was I told that, I think my, and I don't want to throw him under the bus, uh, my little cousins were involved with me. I just did. I'm sorry. Uh, we were all out there, right? And, uh, but I was the oldest cousin, okay? I was leading, and I was not leading a very good example. Um, we were told, don't mess with that school bus. Why? It's not your property. Don't mess with it. Don't get in it. I know it looks abandoned, but he actually does something with that bus. Just, just don't mess with it. Don't, don't, you know, don't, uh, don't mess around. Don't try to climb up in there or anything like that. So into the deer season, we're, we're driving, we're driving back and forth. And every time I see that bus, I'm like, man. And, and I just, I don't know what it is. Like, why do I want to go check it out? And, you know, I'm just curious. I'm like, what is up with that abandoned school bus? So I don't go get in the school bus, but let me tell you what I do. I pick up rocks and I start launching these rocks. <laughs> Y'all are judging me so hard right now. I just felt it like just... Pour out the wrath. I start throwing rocks at the windows of the school bus. I know it's bad. <laughs> I was wrong. I'm just launching, like, I bet I can throw it further, right? And we, we're, like, launching them from, you know, 100 feet back. And we're, we're, we're busting out windows on the school bus. Oh, so... We're just kind of having fun and doing our thing and launching these rocks. We go back to our campsite. It's not that far from there. You drive around the corner, and um, we had our campsite there. And later on that afternoon, uh, we just hear this voice, boys. And y'all know that voice. All the dads are standing there. It's like a little committee there. They're all standing together. Boys, come here. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, did I, did I do something wrong? Oh, oh yeah, you know, oh, oh, this is what's going to happen now. Uh, did y'all throw rocks at uh, the owner's school bus? And I'm like, yes, sir, <laughs> we did. It was not a good day for any of us, Okay. What, what did we do? So after that, we had to go to his house. We had to tell him what we did, right? We all, sorry, sir, we, we threw rocks at this school bus. And so that's, that's fine, that's fine. But it led to some different consequences down the road, right? We had to, we had to work, we had to pay money to get those things, to get it repaired and fixed because it wasn't our property. I was told by my dad not to do it. Very clearly ahead of time was instructed, don't mess around with that. Don't go messing with the school bus. And I did it anyways. Does anybody else have an instance or a story where you just did something? You knew this is not, I shouldn't do this. I'm not supposed to do this. I've been instructed, right, by a parent. Or, or maybe we have some parents in here today and you're like, oh yeah, we've got stories to tell you. Not about me, but about them. 
got a lot of stories to tell you. The other day, Arden, she was, uh, my, my, my oldest daughter, Arden, I told her, clean your room. Go in there and clean your room. I'm going to go in here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, study a little bit. But when I come out, I, w- I want your room to be picked up. She's like, oh, she's like, okay, you know, yes, sir. All right, dad, I'll do it. So I go in the room, I start studying a little bit, and then about 35, 40 minutes later, I come out, and I see Arden, and I kind of forgot that I told her to clean the room, but she remembered, because she freaked out. No, no, Dad, don't go in my room. Don't, don't, don't. Don't go in my room. She's like putting her back up, because don't, don't go in there. Don't look, don't look. And then I was like, you reminded me. You're supposed to clean your room. Let me take a look. It's messier than before, right? What did you do? And, And she's like, Oh my goodness, right? Oh, I, for, I forgot, I'm sorry. And you know the excuses that follow when we do something we're not supposed to do? Well, well you see, Dad, uh, <laughs> well, it's so funny, Dad. Like, she's like, she literally, like, kicking her feet, like, huh, yeah, I was, I was doing homework. No, you weren't. You don't even have homework. They don't do that anymore in school. Okay, they don't send homework. You didn't have homework. What are you talking about? You just, you disobeyed. And what I tell her, I'm going to ask you again clean your room. We have, all of us have stories, instances in our life where we've, we've been disobedient at one time or another. And, and here's the truth. Not only have we been disobedient to our earthly parents, there's been times where we've been disobedient to our heavenly father. At one point or another, you and I, we, we've disobeyed. God has asked us to do something and we didn't do it. Or maybe God has commanded you to not do something and you have done it. At one point or another, we've all been disobedient to God. And what, what is Jonah? What has Jonah done? God tells him, he commands him, calls him, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. And we, we've read in chapter 1, what does he do? He turns and he goes the opposite way of what God is asking him to do. 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. He goes to, to a place called Tarshish. He goes through all this work, spends all this energy and time to run and try to outrun God's presence. And he's disobedient. What happens in chapter 2? We learned this last week. What does Jonah do? In the belly of a great big fish. Jonah's in the belly for three days and three nights. And what does he do? He prays to God. He finally gets to a point where he's like, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to God. And the Bible says he cries out to God. And God, what, what do we see happen? God is using a fish season in Jonah's life. Some of you, you're in a fish season right now. You're in the belly of the fish. And it's a, it feels like a dark place or a dark season. But God is, it's, it's, not, it's not God's punishment necessarily. It's God's protection in fish season. I'd rather be in the fish, safe, in the presence of God, than out in the storm without him in the waters. What does the fish do? The fish brings Jonah to where he needs to be. And the Bible says the fish vomits him up. There's only one thing worse than vomiting. It's being vomited up. I don't think anybody here has had that experience. But, and then Jonah chapter 3, this is where we start. Jonah is, is now, he's there. And it starts off with the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I want to give you some good news here today. It's so incredible that our God after Jonah has done all this, after he's run, after he's disobeyed God, he's run in the opposite direction. 
that our God doesn't just say, well, you're useless to me now, Jonah. He doesn't just kick him to the side, does he? He doesn't just say, eh, can't use you anymore, right? You imperfect guy. I can't use you anymore. No, he doesn't do that. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And here's the big idea. Our God is a God of second chances. If you've messed up, if you've made mistakes, if you're not perfect, look, that's all of us. Here's the good news. God uses flawed, broken, imperfect people. Constantly. All throughout the Bible. You read time and time again where God is using broken, flawed, imperfect people. Because our God is a God of second chances. He comes to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. And what does he say? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. What does he ask Jonah to do? He asks Jonah to do the same thing he asked him to do before. You notice like God's direction didn't necessarily change because Jonah was disobedient. Here's the key. Don't be surprised when God asks you to be obedient in something you were previously disobedient in. He might be asking you to do the same thing that he's been asking you to do. And just because we were disobedient in it, or we didn't follow the voice of the Lord, or we didn't listen, or we didn't obey him, he's not changing his mind based on our level of obedience. God has commanded us to do something Or for some, it's commanding you to stop doing something. Whatever the case may be, it's like the people of Nineveh. We're going to read that here today. Whatever the case may be, it's it's our job to obey, to listen to the voice of the Lord. Do what he's calling us to do. Arise, go to that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. One of the most incredible things to me when I read this is that God goes to Jonah a second time He asks him to do the same thing he previously asked him to do. And here's my question. Does God need Jonah to reach the people of Nineveh? I want you to think about that for just a little bit. We're talking about God. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Before there was was any earth, before there was any planet, God, the Trinity, the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in perfect union with each other eternally existing. In the beginning, God, the same God who formed the earth out of nothing, because our God needs nothing to do everything, literally formed the earth from nothing. And then what did he do? Out of the dust of the earth, he formed us, he formed mankind, and then breathed the breath of life into mankind. We're talking about the God who's never had a beginning and who will never have an end. The first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Does God need Jonah to reach the people of Nineveh? He doesn't need Jonah to do it. Listen to me. Our God is sovereign. He could have done it any way he chose. Couldn't he? What what could God have done? Let's just think about this. I mean, he could have sent an army of angels if he wanted to directly to the people of Nineveh. Could have given the message directly that way. He could, have, he could have spoken to the king in a dream. Said, hey, listen, this is, you know, he could have delivered his message that way. God could have spoken in an audible voice if he wanted to, to the people. But he chooses to involve Jonah. 
Why? Why is he insistent on using Jonah? Just think about that a little bit. Why is he, why is God going to use this guy who, he's made so many mistakes, he didn't listen the first time. God, you could do it however you want. Why continue to use Jonah? And here's the answer. It's because he loves Jonah. God loves Jonah. Not only is God trying to do a work through Jonah, God is doing a work in Jonah. One of the things when I grew up with my dad, I remember when I was younger, I would ask him when I was really young, I want to go to work. I want to go to work with you. In the summertime, I was out for school. I'm like, take me to work. My dad, he owned an AC company. And, um, and so he's like, all right, yeah, you can go to work with me. And, um, you know, some of the things he would ask me to do, right? Hey, bring me those gauges over here, right? Bring those gauges to me. Uh, turn the Freon bottle, right? Twist the nozzle on the Freon. All these things. As an adult, I look back and go, the job wasn't hinging on me. It was going to happen whether I was there or not, right? But, but here's the key. He wanted me there because he wanted to spend time with me. He wanted relationship with me. Ministry is a lot like that. Did you know that? Doing ministry with God. God wants you to be a part of the great work that he's doing. And here's, here's the point. He wants his kids to go to work with him. He wants Jonah to be involved because he wants Jonah to be a part of what he's doing. He wants Jonah to be a part of, this is a great work, Jonah, I've called you. I don't want you to miss out on this. See, not only has God called Jonah, but God has called you and I as followers of Jesus for the same mission, to go out into the world, preach the good news of the gospel. A lot of people, they get hung up on preach, I think. Well, I'm not a preacher, so I'm not going to preach anything, right? I'm not a pre- I'll leave that up to the preacher man. Let me tell you something. We're preaching a message every day. Preaching isn't just Sunday morning, Bible, microphone, crowd. Preaching happens in our conversations that we're having every single day. We're preaching messages to people. The world is preaching messages back to us. The question is not whether or not you're going to preach a message. The question is, what is the message you are preaching? What is the message you are bringing to people in your conversations? It happens in various ways, right? But we are called, just like Jonah, to go. God has called you and I to go. And here's the key. You don't have to go. You get to go. We, we, don't, have to do, uh, we don't have to do the work of God. I get to be a part of the work of God. It's, it's not an obligation. It's a, I get to be a part of what the Lord is doing. And church, we are called. I, I'll, I'll tell you this. Primarily, the, the ministry should be happening out there. We're here. We gather together. And, and we gather together to fill up, to encourage one another, right? The Bible is very clear on do not forsake gathering together. It's very important that we prioritize coming to church, being together, being the body of Christ, building one another up. But then we're to go out for the mission of God. We're to go out there. And that's where a lot of the ministry ought to be happening is outside of these four walls of this church. And the people that you're around, you're going to influence people that I'm not necessarily. You have people of influence in your life that God has called you to reach, God has called you to talk to. And it's not like you got to go up to them and go, let me tell you something about Jesus. Just sit down for a second. All right, I've, I've never seen a time where that has worked. 
It's in our lives. It's in our conversation. It's the way that we represent ourselves when we're, we're with, with those outside of these four walls. It, it's, it's not being afraid or intimidated to share with them what we believe and where we stand and who we are. And your life is a testimony. And so I, I just want you to know today is that the same mission that God gives Jonah is the same mission he's given to the body of Christ. It's to go into all the world. Here's the question I have to ask myself. How am I doing on that? And, and I, I don't, you know, I know life is busy, but really, like, how am I doing on that? How am I witnessing, reaching, talking? What am I, what am I doing? Am I, am I a spiritual spectator or am I, am I an active participant for the kingdom of God? One of the things that we fight against so much here at, at church, and one of, the, one of the biggest things I think the church has to fight against, um, you know, in today's climate and culture, is what we call fast food Christianity. Where it's like, ah, zoom in on Sunday, park, go inside, give me some inspiration, pastor, so I can go on for the rest of my week. One of the things that I uh, heard a pastor say a long time ago is that the world has a lot of inspiration, but is starving for information. And, and we need information. It's through the word of God. And so we're called to go out and to do what? To bring the message, to bring the good news of Jesus. That doesn't mean you've got to go preach a sermon. You don't have to you know, take a Bible and say, you know, thus saith the Lord. Now sit down and listen. It just means that in our conversations, we need to carry this awareness. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And I need, to, I need to bring this with me wherever I go. So, so what happens? Jonah arose, he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, let me back up for just a second before we move on. I don't want to pass this up. What, what does he tell him to do? He tells him to bring the message that he tells them, that he tells, jo that he tells Jonah. <laughs> Could you imagine if Jonah would have just gone to share his message to the people of Nineveh? Now, remember this, last week, or the week before last, we talked a lot about Nineveh, the culture of what was going on, what the Israelites would have thought of the Ninevites and the people of Assyria. They would have not been big fans of each other, right? All the things that happened. And so just imagine if Jonah goes out there, all right, I got a word for him, right? And if Jonah goes out there to share his opinion to the people of Nineveh, what could have happened? He, he doesn't go share his opinion. He shares God's word. Me and you, you and I, we're, we're to do the same thing. We're not to just share opinions. We're to share the word of God. One of the jobs that we have week in and week out when we come up here is to get out of the way and share the word. To share God's word because there's power in his word. Amen? Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a journey, and he called out. What does he say? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. That's all we get. As a matter of fact, in, in the Hebrew language, it was five words. That's all we get. That's all it shares that Jonah, the message that Jonah shares. That's incredible. What's more incredible is the next verse. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They all believed God. Did Jonah go out and do this crazy, eloquent speech? with thousands of words, just a zinger at the end to capture the gospel. 
We don't see that, do we? Everyone believes. Why? Jonah's obedient to what God asks him to do, number one. Number two is the power isn't in his eloquence. The power is in God's word. Say this time and time and time again. God's word is powerful. That's where the power comes from. You, you, you want to grab a hold of some power in your life. You want, you want your life to be transformed like the Bible says. Where does it start? It starts with shaping our minds with God's word. It starts with letting his word shape our lives. At some point, church, what we have to do is we have to come to a place where we go, you know, my life, my mind is being shaped by something. What do I want it to be shaped by? And I want it to be shaped by his word. And what does this mean? We're on mission here to teach people, right? This means that in life, practically, we've got to do some things to prioritize his word. I might sound like a broken record telling you this, and I'm going to keep saying it. But what that looks like is I've got to set some time aside in my life to get in God's word, to get in his presence. I've got to set aside some time to go, let me crack this book open. It's not a place to collect dust, and it's not a place to stash money because we know nobody's going to open it. <laughs> Heard those stories. No, this is where the power comes from. What changes the city? It's not Jonah. It's the word of God. What still changes cities? It's God's word. What changes nations? God's word. What changes a corrupt government? God's word. God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. There is power in God's word. The question you and I have to ask is, has his word been made alive in you and I? Has it been made alive in us? Are we reading his word? Are we meditating on his word? Or am I just kind of living my life waiting for next Sunday? Right? We're, we're called to, to read to set aside time, get in God's presence, be in silence, listen for his word, listen for his voice, to study, to be stewards of his word. He goes on to say what? The people of Nineveh believed God, and what did they do right after? They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Notice that when the people of Nineveh repent, because that's what's happening here, it's repentance, they're They're turning from their evil ways and they're turning back to God. That's what a picture of repentance is. It's I was on this path, I was going down this road, and then, and then, oh, oh, hold on a second. This isn't the road I need to be on. I repent of what I've done and I turn and I choose to look unto Jesus. I choose to look to God. That's what's happening here. What happens in their repentance? Notice it's not just repentance in their mind, it leads to an action. What do they do? They call for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne. This is now you got to remember. This king, what do the people of Nineveh do? They were like present-day ISIS. They were, you know, horrific, brutal people. What does he do? He arose from his throne. He removed his robe. His robe would have represented everything that gave him authority. And what does he do? He covers himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now, when the Bible talks about covering themselves with sackcloth, what is that? Sackcloth was like a, 
it was like, almost like a burlap material that was made out of like goat hair. It was very coarse material, uncomfortable. What is the king doing? He's taking off his, his robes that kind of represent his authority. He's laying those down, and he's putting on sackcloth, this uncomfortable goat hair. And, and what is this a sign of? This is a sign, well, it was a sign of grieving, mourning, and repentance. It's an external representation. We repent of what we've done. We repent for the direction that we've been going. We turn and we repent. They're fasting. It, not only does it say that, they, that the king called a fast to the people, he calls a fast to the animals, it says. None of them are going to eat. None of them. Y'all aren't eating either. Woo! I mean, these people, it's, it's repentance. He's turning, right? But it's an external, you see something external happening in the repentance, they're putting on sackcloth. And this is the point I want you to see, is that mental repentance ought to lead us to action. And it should, it should actually lead and look like action. At some point, it's not just, oh, God, I'm sorry in my mind. But it, it leads to actually turning from the road I was going on, and it changes the way that we live. It leads to action. That's what we see happening here. What does the king do? He issued a proclamation published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, right? Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Listen to what verse 9 says. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, when I read verse 9, i got to tell you, I've never seen that verse on a coffee mug. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not the verse that, you know, gets sent out in the graduation card or that's the magnet on the refrigerator. Because we don't like to talk about God's fierce anger a lot in the church. People are like, oh, please, please don't. Stay away from judgment and wrath, please. Like, we love the love, right? Oh, God is God of love. Yes, he is. God is also a God who judges. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God. And I think this is why. What's happened is we've done this um, over the years. I think we separate God's judgment from his love. And we kind of distinguish like, okay, well, God's love is here and then God's, God's judgment is here. And so what you end up having is a lot of people who are on the judgment side. Have you met those Christians? They're the legalistic folk that are out there just ready to tear in, you know, the whistle around their neck, right? They're I'm the Holy Ghost Sheriff, stop in the name of the Lord, right? <laughs> Repent. And, and they're all about judgment. Then you got people on this side who, who they're all about love, right? But, but, but they don't want to, ooh, it makes me uncomfortable to, to even think about the wrath of God. Ooh, I don't want to hear about that. All right, here's the point that we've got to remember is both God's judgment and his love work together. They're not separate. They work together. Let me explain it to you like this. Say, um, say you're a parent, you got kids, you have an older son and then you got a younger one. And you're walking by their room and one day you notice the older son, what is he doing? He's about to pound the younger son because they're getting into a fight. They're, they're not having it, they're, they're frustrated with each other and the older son's about to take him out, right? And part of you is like, you know, keep him straight, right? Keep him straight. The other party is like, no, 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 what, right, no, this, this is not good. Right, they're fighting each other, and this is getting to a, a bad place. 
Let me ask you something. In that situation, as the parent that's watching your, your older child about to beat up your younger child, what's the loving thing to do? What is the loving thing to do in that situation? Is it to just go, ah, whatever, walk by and just kind of be apathetic to it? Like, yeah, whatever. There happens. Who am I to judge him? He might have had a bad day. He might have been picking on him, by the way, and he might deserve that. Is that a very loving thing to do? It's not loving for the younger son, and it's not loving for the older son either. And here's the picture I want you to see is what's the loving thing to do? The loving thing to do would be for us to intervene. Number one, to show love to the young son, not let him get pounded into the ground. And then for the older son, what's the loving thing to do? To intervene and to instruct him and correct. To correct. The loving thing to do is to render a judgment on the older son and say, that's not acceptable behavior. You don't get to go around and fight. If you grow up your whole life thinking that that's, that's okay, it's going to take you down the wrong road. It's going to lead to a road of destruction. The loving thing to do is intervene and say, not okay. And it's to render a judgment on the older for his sake because it's the loving thing to do. See, God's judgment is love. It works in the same way in us. They work hand in hand. They're not separate. God's judgment isn't out to destroy you. It's not out to destroy me. God's not up there just like, I want to I wanna take the Ninevites out and beat them over the head. What's the purpose of God's judgment here? We read in verse 10. What does it say? It's going to tell us. What happens when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. He didn't do it. Why doesn't he do it? Because of the people's repentance. They turned back to God. See, here's, here's the point. Here's the goal of the judgment. It's to not destroy you. It's to turn you so that you can experience God's grace. That's what we see here. It's God's grace. You deserved to be destroyed, but I'm not going to do that. Because you turned. You turned from the path you were going. That's God's See, see that's, that's the goal for you and I, too, that we would turn when we're going down the wrong road, when we're taking the wrong path, that we would turn, we'd repent, right? And that repentance and that turning back to God, it doesn't lead to him beating you over the head. It leads to him having open arms. This is my grace. I love you, right? It is God's love. They work hand in hand. I think so many people in life they live feeling defeated and they live in a cycle of sin because deep down what they're thinking to themselves is, why would God ever accept me and where I'm at? Why would God accept me? And the truth is when we give our lives to Christ, living a life in Christ Jesus, it's his righteousness. And so this is, this is what I ask you to do today. And I, I want to give some time and, and uh, I think is Jonathan in here. Jonathan, if you could go step down real quick. And Michael, if you come down here. This morning, they're, they're going uh, to play some music here today. I want to give some time just for silence. You want to pray with each other. Um, as a matter of fact, Dad, if, if you want to pray up here, and I'm going to come up here too, and we can pray. And Brent, if you want to come down here and pray too as well this morning with some folks. Uh, I just want to give some time for people to just say, I need to get my heart right, and I, I need to pray. I, I, need, I need to talk to God. I need to give some time, some space just to get right with God. Because maybe... For you, you're like Jonah. You've been running from the call that God has put on your life. And God is saying, turn back. Go this way. Go in this way. 
take this path. Go, go this direction. Or maybe, maybe you're like the people of Nineveh. You're like, I've been living so far outside of the will of God for so long, outside of his presence. I've been, I've, I've been living in, in just wickedness myself. I haven't truly turned to God. I want to give you that opportunity here this morning because here, here's the thing. As, as, we, as we go out of this place, and as we're the church living day in and day out, we're, we're not called to just come in on Sunday to hear a message and just go on and not let it apply to the rest of our lives. But we, we are called to take action and to do something. And if God's pressing on your heart today, you need to get right with me here today. I would just call you down just to pray. Maybe you're here today and it's like, I don't, I don't even know if, if heaven is my home. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm saved. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe he died on the cross and rose again, that heaven will be your home. You can accept Christ Jesus into your life. If you, need, if you need to accept Jesus today, if you need salvation, I would just ask you to walk down here this morning as well. Maybe you just need to grab a hold of the person you're sitting next to, your family, your husband, your wife, your kids. You just need to pray amongst each other. Whatever it is, let's give some time. Let's give some space and some room right now for God to just work on us. It's the Holy Spirit to work. Thanks for listening today. To stay connected, visit us online at velocityburnham.org and follow us on Instagram. And if you're ever in the Burnham area, we'd love to have you visit us on a weekend. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.